Well, it hasn't quite been the eventful week of last week here in Brisbane football, but there is still plenty to cover on this week's edition of the Brisbane Football Review. Hello, everyone. It's James Scott and Adam with you on a Wednesday evening as uh, we've got local seasons underway uh, now across the men's and women's. But we're going to focus more on the Brisbane Raw, at least in the early part of this show, Scott, because what happens on Sunday night after all the games are completed? Well, there is the MPL Sunday night checklist on our podcast feed, and I kind of disagree with you when you said it hasn't been as an eventful a week. I mean, new coach for the Brisbane Raw, an amazing first round of the MPL, and a win in the A-League men's competition to keep the season alive. It's been quite the busy week. It has been busy, but uh, I still feel like the breaking news bombshell we got on Monday afternoon last week probably topped all of that. Right, Adam? It did. Uh, the dust is probably still settling, but uh, obviously the win on Sunday may have um, may have sort of helped it settle. But uh, we'll get all that in the next hour or so. We certainly will, but we'll try and go through the uh, news events of the last week chronologically, and uh, we will start off with the decision of the Raw to appoint Nick Green as their interim coach for the remainder of the season. Uh, he will succeed the departed Warren Moon, but Adam, just uh, get you to give it an extended response here because I just realised I've got a, a window open and all the bird noises coming in. Um, what were your thoughts on the decision to bring in Nick Green? Because it was a bit of a left field approach. Yeah, look, it was a, um, I guess, unexpected. I think that you know, usually at this time, you'd look at the the uh, assistants who were part of part of Warren Moon's team, those that didn't leave with him. Um, obviously, you had a very have have a very accomplished coach in Graham Harvey that was on the staff. But to, to appoint Nick Green, while it was uh, left field, uh, maybe maybe it'll serve the the tonic that they're looking for in terms of you know, I guess a, a new direction. Yeah, and based on some of the comments that Ante Kovacevic gave to uh, the Courier Mail late last week, Scott, it it almost kind of sounded like it wasn't part of the grand plan to replace Warren Moon during the season and Green was brought in mostly because he was an outside voice uh, that can just get them through the final nine or so games. Well firstly birds outside your window would be something you'd be very much enjoying I imagine James but but in terms of it it does seem like it wasn't necessarily the plan was it to make a change during the course of the season they did go for the outside voice we'll talk about how the game went at the weekend but Given the fact they wanted to make a change to try and basically save the season, bringing someone internal, I'm not as much as there's some really good candidates internally. I'm not sure that's the right path if you're looking to completely change the way you go about. It. So they certainly did go outside the box. It was heavily, heavily rumoured. We spoke about this on the the Warren Moon departure show last Monday, but it was confirmed. I think Tuesday morning. I think they officially announced the decision. So they went outside the box and. Again, it's an it's an interesting one. He hasn't coached in the um in the senior ranks since twenty twenty, just before the um pandemic. So it's been a while between coaching stints for Nick, but he got also a good start at the weekend. Yeah, and that is the first step, I suppose, is just seeing out the season. Having had now nine, ten days to reflect on the whole process as well, is I still don't feel like there's a good answer as to why now when it comes to the decision to replace uh, Warren Moon. But it, the big feeling I've kind of been able to get is the fact that it seems like they just needed a fresh voice in there as the frustrations over the way the season were unfolding were building, Adam. 
Yeah, I think so. And uh, just, just on Nick Green as well, that, you know, as far as his credentials go, yes, he hasn't coached since, um, like, senior football, as far as we know, since um, he departed Brisbane City just before the pandemic. Uh, he, he does have a UEFA A coaching licence, and he has he's heavily involved with the uh, pro player private academy. So it, it's not like he's been standing still and, and um, sort of you know, got, got from nowhere. But, um, yeah, look, I think as far as, you know, as what happened it's in terms of, you know, the, the approach, yeah, I think it's a case of, you know, you can, you, you can tell from the players the way they played on Sunday, and this, we'll, get into, we'll get into the actual game summaries shortly. But it just seemed to be a very different style. Like, it's almost like the, the handbrake was almost released as such. And it's just a different approach, a different mentality. And on this day... It worked, but I think without jumping too far ahead, um, like I said, that's just one game. And I think, and, and obviously, it, se- and it sounds like to me is that this really is, realistically is just a nine-game stint, and then we'll see what happens after that. Yeah, it does seem like a reset for the last nine, well, yeah, nine games, to go, including either an Australia Cup game or a final. We'll have to wait and see which way it goes, James, but... It does seem like it's a bit of a reset between now and the end of the season. They're looking to instill certain things in the team that maybe weren't there previously for a new coach going into the new season. And there was some of that over the course of the um, the game on the weekend. But he's a 20-point plan or something. He's looking at things to improve over the next couple of couple of weeks. And he implemented three of them during the week. So quite a detailed plan. Yeah. 22. So it's quite a detailed list of things he's looking at changing in a short period of time which is an interesting way to go about it given it's a it's a relatively short stint but it does show that maybe it does illustrate the level of reset that the Roar are going through whether it's right or wrong is up to up to you to decide but it was again it got to a really good start at the weekend yeah and I suppose you know we had the instant reaction there and we've had more time to think about it and it does feel like that change was inevitable I think like we were talking about this you know, all week basically trying to find a good answer about the whole why now thing. And for me, it seems like it was a case of the plan was always there to change coach, but when Ante Kovacevic was brought in, it was too late to try and replace, too late in the preseason build up to replace Moon with his guy, which then, you know, makes me think that some of the uh, rumored replacements seem like they've been uh, almost in mind all season and just weren't approachable yet, maybe, Adam? I don't know. Like, do you oh, get what look, I mean? I don't, I don't, I, but if, if that was the plan, even if, if Ante Kovacevic came earlier, I really think that you know, we'd be probably a lot more outraged because I don't think Warren Moon probably deserved to, to get, you know, to get to get moved on, you know, in pre-season. Obviously, you know, results can spot, you know, yeah, and certain issues have conspired, and that's probably not the right word if you take that literally. But the way things have gone out, he's he sort of you know, terribly unlucky on, on some fronts. On other hands, he sort of hasn't the, the side didn't really respond to the way he wanted. And, 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 and yes, changes need to be made. And as we said last week, why now with nine to go, nine nine matches to go? When you know the sound of things, perhaps you know, just could let let him you know see out the season with the inevitable. And we said it that pretty much that unless they made finals. They were going to make the change at the end of the season, but perhaps the conven- the conventional thinking went out the window and said, "You know what? We're still close enough. We just need some spark." 
and perhaps a coaching change, how long they can ride this, you know, the new coach and the sort of bounce. Yeah, they're only four points outside the four. So a couple of wins against the grain, a couple of wins, you know, a couple of losses around them. And all of a sudden, we're talking finals football with Brisbane Roar again, which, you know, a week or two weeks ago, we're saying, nah, it's all over. Yeah. And that was more so the way they were playing, the way it looked like that, you know, realistically they weren't, you, you couldn't see where the next win was coming from. But I think, you know, with this, with, with this sort of style that, you know, there's almost chaotic style in a way that, you know, the freer open style that Nick Green seems to have, you know, brought, brought out of the side. You know, all of a sudden, you know, a couple of wins you, on, in, the, in a quote, the honeymoon phase, you know, then all of a sudden they're, they're right back into the finals race. And as we've seen with this team, Scott, is they are very much a confidence-based team where if things are going well, they really can, you know, get on a, on a roll. And that that seems to be the theme with this whole A-League season now, especially with some of the uh, injuries going on around the competition. It is very much up for grabs. And I, I don't think it's unfair to say that, you know, they've got a couple of winnable games coming up in the next few weeks. They've almost got to be asking the question, why not us? Now, you know, there's plenty of reasons I'm sure that people can come up with to say why not, but again, like, why why not have a roll of the dice here and say, well, this is kind of a Hail Mary pass, let's see what happens. If you haven't got the attitude of why not us, why can't we make it, you shouldn't be there. There's enough games left. I mean, it's a, it's, I think it's a tough road to go from where they are to get there, but if you're not... If you're not, if you don't believe you can get, can get there, why why are you still playing? I mean, you mentioned that they're a confidence team, James, and you could certainly see the confidence beginning to get back into the players over the game on the weekend. As they, particularly in the first half, the pressing I thought from the front though, where they squeezed the space and looked to prevent teams playing out, and then trapped them and win the ball back higher up the park. I thought that was something that was that might have been one of the things Nick Green did implement over the course of the last week, because it was certainly in evidence on on the weekend, but you did see the confidence starting to return to the players as the game went on and as they grew into the game, particularly, I think Perth started better and then the Raw came into it through the rest of the first half and through the second half they were largely comfortable, but you could see the confidence building, James, and that's that's what that's what you want. Is that if you are going to go on a run at the back end of the season, you need confidence and belief, and I think that's still there. I, never, I don't think that ever left them either. You think about the performance at Sydney away a week and a half ago now, Right up until the very end of that game, they were still going for it in that game, but they didn't lose belief. They hadn't given up. They still believed in what they were doing. So I don't think that's ever been a question. It's just been it hasn't quite been working in certain aspects. And if they can fix those things, maybe they can. But they do have some games coming up in the next couple of weeks. I think MacArthur away, Western United at home in particular, are two games where they're going to need to get some points if they are going to begin to close that gap at the top, or to the top, I should say. Yeah, just just to follow on from Scott's point, I've got actually the draw in front of me. Uh, so next, so obviously Sunday against Macarthur, and Macarthur have been, you know, have been abysmal since since uh, Dwight York left, and you know, and with Ulysses Devere gone for the season, they're 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 um, vulnerable. Uh, Melbourne City uh, away might be a little bit tricky, but you never know. Uh, West United That's underselling at home. it nicely. That by the way, a little bit tricky. <laughs> well, yeah. At the ground, yeah. the Raw historically can't win at. Yeah, well, Although, that's, that's, that's the better. But uh, then Western, Western United at home, there's a, there's, a, there's a week's break for international break. And then 1st of April, Central Coast Mariners, place where the Raw have got an excellent record in, but 
I don't know. Yeah, Mariners are going pretty well. And then Newcastle Jets at at Redcliffe. That that takes you right up to round 23 with three to play. So, you know, the next the next five games, you know, you, you could probably even say three wins and a draw. So what's that? That's, yeah. that's, that's 10 points against teams around them. I think, you know, come, you know, you know, after that game against Newcastle, you know, on April 8th, if they're able to achieve that, I think they're right in the finals hunt. Yep, that's what they're going to need, isn't it, James? They're going to need 9 to 10 points out of that run of five games Adam's talking about to put them in a position for that Sydney game on, you know, in the, in the second last round of the season, for that to become a, a de facto playoff game to get into the finals. They're going to need to get those three wins in those five games Adam mentioned. So these games coming up are absolutely crucial for the Brisbane Roar. It's good to see that the belief is starting to ooze back into the team because if they don't have that, they didn't have they don't have a chance. So it's great to see that belief coming back. Yeah, and I and I'll pivot into the game on Sunday in a second. Specifically, cover that. But I think what was the phrase I said right before we started recording? Where I don't know if this necessarily means the Raw are going to make finals, but it does feel like at least in the interim, this has made their chance. Like it has increased their chances just solely because you've seen that sort of radical change that I don't think was uh, going to be possible under Warren Moon. And I was trying to find the right way to describe this on Sunday. And annoyingly, I came up with it after I'd done my uh, pregame segment uh, with Hinksey. But it almost felt like under Warren, and you know, I, I will preface this again by saying I don't necessarily think Warren was a bad coach but I think he'd gone so far down that highly defensive rabbit hole where you're playing six or seven defenders in your starting 11 every week that it would would have just been too hard for him to flip flip the script and say alright forget it we're going for it this week and I kind of feel like it was just so far they'd gone so far down that rabbit hole with that style that it, it was too hard to dig themselves out of it. Whereas the change in coach from Nick Green, and now we'll go on to Sunday's game specifically, first thing I noticed about five minutes into the game, the Roar had gone from playing their 5-2-3 or whatever the setup was. They were playing a proper back three, four in the midfield and three up front. Mm. They, the handbrake was well and truly off, Scott. Not just that, it was where the players were lining up. I Kai Truen, who had been lining up in the middle of midfield, all year long doing a great job. He was all of a sudden back in what notionally is his preferred position as a centre-back, and he was quite good back there. Jez Lofthouse came in back into the side from, from the MPL, so playing as a left wing-back, basically, James. He was on that left side of the midfield four, so it was... You're right, the handbrake was off, and there was more more speed and dynamism in the side, the way I would describe it. Though it was really interesting to see the way they did go about it. I wonder if that's a if that was a case of this is what we think can beat Perth, or if this is what Nick Green is going to do over the course of the next eight games, because the lineup that he fielded was certainly really attacking. It was almost like they completely flipped the script. Some of the lineups previously, maybe you could call it a little bit overly conservative with some of the, you said, six, seven defenders in the lineup. This was almost the complete opposite, wasn't it? With a lot of attacking players, a lot of players pushing forward a lot more. So it was very interesting to see the way they went about it. I also do think it really did catch Perth out because I don't... I mean, with everything that was going on with them last week, James, with the um, training ground incident and all the rest of it, 
they had their own issues to to deal with. So I do wonder if Brisbane Roar's pre- the preparation for that and thinking, gee, what what could they change? What could it look like under a new coach? I think the Roar also did catch them off guard with that as well. Yeah, it, it certainly looks like it. And I think just, yeah, the, the panic didn't... Not, not, the, actually, no, panic is absolutely the wrong word for me. I'll correct myself there and say... I think the freedom was there this time around, and that's what you get for bringing in someone like Lofthouse. And let's not forget, they did this without Stefan Stepovic, who I believe picked up a little knock in training during the week. Scott Neville was out uh, through yellow card. Concussion protocol. Oh, concussion protocol, okay. Yep. Uh, I no Robbie I... Cruz either. Yep, and um, Jay O'Shea was out with a broken toe. So, yeah, it's, it's uh, not like there's... Um, it's not like there was necessarily a case of just reusing the existing players in the expected roles. Yeah, look, um, I, I thought uh, Taras Gamorka was absolutely superb. He's by easily his best game uh, in in the orange and black colours. I, like I said, I think as well, there might be extra responsibility as well because, you know, you pretty much had the your stand, you know, centre two midfielders, and he and and Ramat Akbari as well. They they did very very well um, in in that um, in that that formation. So I think I think it's also, and I thought Tom Aldred as well was, you know, he also you know, led from him, and he's he's a play, he's obviously so important to that side as Tom Aldred, you know, from a leadership aspect, but also as well, you know, defensively. And I, I think that you know, a number of things sort of you know are sort of coming together for them all of a sudden, which you know perhaps wasn't you know wasn't sort of you know coming together under under Warren Moon, but uh, look. Again, it's a case of is this just a one game? You know, did they catch Perth Glory, or you know, or is this something that we can look forward to? Either way, it, it's it's provided a little bit of hope, you know, to the fans, you know, that you know that this, this season wasn't wasn't going to peter out, you know, you know, basically without without you know sinking without trace. I think at least then, if if they're going to go down, they're going to go down swinging by by the looks of the way that you know Nick Green has sets up his teams. Well, that is one thing that I definitely wanted to uh, bring up quickly before we go to you, Scott. Um, you mentioned the fans, Adam, and the ones that are still making the trek out to Redcliffe, it's clear that they, that you know, there still is an element of belief in what this team can do. Now, look, I, I'm not going to go crazy and say they're going to go win the grand final, but I would like to think that they can at least get into the finals and have a crack in that first game. And you could tell, like... The way the crowd was really getting behind them at the end of the game as they were trying to hold out the Perth attack and everything, there was still that element of belief there. Yeah, there was, and that was really good to see the way that the fans did get behind the new manager and also the team during that game and get them over the line in that one. I just want to go back to what Adam said with Taras Kamulka in midfield. I thought he was absolutely brilliant. He was the player who was... I spoke earlier about the pressing from the front and winning the ball back higher up the park. He was the player who was at the absolute heart of all that stuff, James, and I do think, I know Adam said it's his best game, he's only played three, but it was really, really good no, midfield. It's, not, it's a small sample size. But it is a small sample size, but that was a fantastic yeah. was a fantastic performance of him in the middle of midfield. He really did control the middle of the park for the winning the ball back in, in the front third and creating opportunities for players on the back end of that. It was a really, really good performance. Again, that's the stuff we haven't seen from the midfield this year enough, James, is that winning the ball back in those areas and I do think he was. I think he was the best player on the park by quite a margin. 
I was, I was going to say as well, speaker players who had their best games in, in an orange jersey, I thought Jez Lofthouse was also very, very good. Um, obviously, a lot of people, he's got a lot of a lot of fans out there, especially in social media land, I think that made him happy. But I think we, we said it, you know, at, at the game, before the game, Scott, that, you know, this is a, this is a big time for Jez Lofthouse because, look, it, it's only so long. Everyone knows, we're, and we're big fans, and we've followed him for, you know, many years coming through the ranks but there is a point now where you've got to start saying you're either you you can be the best prospect to come out of the MPL in years but that that tag only lasts so long and I think we're at that point with Jez that these next nine games may be so important to him because look I I would not be surprised that if if yeah he the way he was sort of going um as far as his trajectory you know under Warren Moon where he was just not performing where he needed to um, I, I would dare say that he, he may have been looking for an MPL club um, much sooner. But, you know, like I said, a performance like that, if he keeps on building that, obviously, you know, then he's, he's on his way to being you know, a solid professional. Absolutely. And just quickly, James, with Jez, it was good to see the confidence. Again, I was about confidence returning to the team. He's one player you could really see, and he was picking the ball up and running at defenders again. And we've, we've all seen Jez Lofthouse at his best in the MPL. That's what he does. There's still some end product stuff in the front third to come back. With trending in the right direction, I thought it was definitely his his best game for the season for the Brisbane Roar, without a doubt. Yeah, and his dad was in attendance in the crowd as well, and the rest of his family too. So I think he was uh, ready to put on a show for them as well. But on Lofthouse, what got me was the fact that like you remember that press conference after Melbourne City in round two uh, when uh, Moon said, you know, essentially his defensive work wasn't quite up to scratch. The number of times we saw him tracking all the way back and making sure that he was taking care of his defensive responsibilities, that that had to be really encouraging as well. The one thing that I do think is still a bit of a work in progress is those times where he'd uh, run to the byline and then cut back onto his right foot. Those times in the NPL where he'd get the shot away and the keeper would have no chance, the defender was blocking it. So... Um, the final point I did want to make uh, on this game as well, uh, the injury suffered by Daryl Lackman at the end of the game that required the uh, ambulance to come onto the field. Obviously, it was a pretty full-on weekend for head injuries up on the peninsula as well with uh, Ollie Duncan for Sunshine Coast Wanderers. It seems like in both cases, the uh, reports on the potential injuries are encouraging. So that's very good news, and uh, we hope it's a fairly smooth recovery for both parties involved. Daryl Lackman especially... Um the observation on Sunday night, no scans came back all clear and actually flew back home with the team, which is that's considering what happened, um, and and so the scenes from that 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 was, is the best result. But look, you're right, you know, they whatever we think of the opposition players, and you don't want to ever see that to any player. So, yeah, you know, look, we, we wish them all the best, and hopefully, there's no further side effects on that. Full full disclosure, there was about a five second. Um span from where I was watching where I might I might have been uh, blowing up about Ali Reza Fagani stopping the game until I realised it was quite serious and I went okay that, that that's probably the right call considering it's a head injury yeah I don't think you're the only person James in the stadium who was a bit frustrated <laughs> at him blowing up the play at that point in time but then when they realised what had happened I think everyone understood it but did have a bit of flashbacks to the Luke Bratton Australia yeah. Cup incident a few years ago. Thankfully, in this case, the ambulance was on standby at the ground and was able to get on the field very quickly. So there wasn't 
a delay in both the treatment for Daryl and also the game. It was great to see that it was there very quickly. They went through all the protocols with him. And it's great to hear, as Adam said, he's okay. And he travelled back to Perth with the team on Monday. So great to hear. And hopefully we'll see him back on the field soon because he's a very good player for Perth Glory. For sure. And uh, one final highlight uh, from this game as well. It was a debut for Billy Hingett. Uh, in the post-game celebrations as well in front of the dance. So. <laughs> uh, Billy Billy Simba Hingit. Yeah, it, that that was a lot of that was a lot of fun there with the den calling for Hingit to do the Lion King and Jack dutifully obliged. So it was a very good mood on the pitch after the game. That's all I will say for that. And uh, we'll finish our men's recap by talking about my three-two-one votes. I gave three points to Tom Aldred, the captain leading. Uh, with a goal, Jez Lofthouse two points, and Nikola Miliuznic one point. I thought Miliuznic was pretty damn good in the role that he was asked to do. Still don't think he's a natural striker, but he's, he put his pace to great effect there, oftentimes in a one-on-one foot race with his uh, opposing defender. And they really used him as an outlet quite nicely in this game, didn't they? They got back to what they were doing last year with Nikola James. Having him as the central option when they didn't have anybody... But the balls that he was able to get on the end of were utilising his speed in those wider areas because it was putting him into the channels. It was quite a good strategy. Yeah, and also getting the support runners through there. So when he did get the ball, he had the option to go himself or try and uh, put in the delivery. All right. Saturday, we will get on to the uh, A-League women's team. And uh, it was not a happy trip to Perth as they went down 2-0. I really don't have a whole lot to say on this game because, in all honesty, I missed it live because I was commentating the Women's Foundation Cup and when you know the result and whatnot, you don't have the desire to go back and watch all 90 minutes. You just watch the clips that you need to and it was a pretty big blow out west, wasn't it, Adam? Yeah, uh, look, uh, Perth Glory, let's let's start with them first. They're, They're four games four wins on the trot and all of a sudden they've emerged potentially as a team that you know now is the favourite to maybe run down um, the top four and that, that was the, and I think that I almost would say that you know mathematically well mathematically still don't, but I think that may be the end of the Raw's final push they they pretty much sunk without trace uh, once once Hannah Lowry had scored that uh, scored the second goal at the half an hour mark they, they really didn't offer that much and um Look, it's a, a case of, you know, Perth stayed very, very disciplined. Um, look, and, and in all honesty, there was only going to be one team that was going to score more and score more goals, and that was Perth. Uh, it was, so at least there was a disallowed goal in the second half, uh, which uh, for, for a foul in the in the lead-up, and also as well uh, a great save by Bella Shuttleworth uh, to get to get a touch on the ball to uh, hit the crossbar, which so that could have easily been four, five nils. So it's a two-nil. 2-0 actually might be actually a little bit flattering for the Raw, all being, all being fair. But look, it wasn't um, it wasn't a great trip. Obviously, it doesn't help with uh, Katrina Gorry having played three games in pretty much a week for the national team. Larissa Crummer as well uh, played played minutes. Uh, Hensley Handcuff did the, did a trip around the world basically in a week. So that's three players there that weren't at 100% uh, right there who were involved to the Raw's team. So I guess in a way, you kind of expected a flat performance. But um, look, I think uh, credit to Perth as well. They're they're building something after them being sort of you know very ordinary for the first half of the season. Yeah, and on and on Perth, you think back to the last time the Raw travelled out there for round one, the 
mm. most recent season completed, how much has changed for Perth as well? Where you look at them and go, you know that that was a side that a lot of us expected to struggle, but now 15, 16 months later, Scott, they're just looking a lot stronger. And the fact that they're able to play all their games at home, it's a tough trip going out there. It is a very tough trip, and we know talking to Gareth first and logistically, this was always going to be a tough trip for the Raw. Three mm. wins in a row for Glory over the Raw and four in the last five as well, so they've certainly got the Raw's number at the moment. I do agree with Adam about Katrina Gorey. I, I think Tony Gustafson did the Raw no favours over the course of the last week playing Katrina Gorey as many minutes as he did. It didn't help in this game, but the whole team was pretty much pretty flat across the board, and it wasn't a great performance in the in the in the context of the season for the Raw. And again, they needed to get something out of to try and continue their push for the finals. It just really wasn't there. And they basically, well, they made changes on the hour mark, basically taking off Gorey as well as Connors, who went down with a bit of an oh, odd injury. It was, it was one of those things where the player goes down without contact, James. When that happens, you do start to wonder what's happened. I think she played on for a couple of minutes beyond that from what we could tell watching the game on the on the screens at Lions Stadium. Luxury Paint Stadium. It, either way, whatever you want to call it. I'm still going to call it the gold line, but it was one of those where she went down without any contact and then played on a couple more minutes, but then basically was substituted at the same time as, as Katrina Gorey. So hopefully Shea is okay, because if the Raw are going to get anything out of the last five games of the season, they will need her to be at her absolute best. And it's, it, she has been at her best, actually, before the international break, but... This wasn't a good performance from the Raw, unfortunately. Left a nice little crater in the Macedonia Park byline. <laughs> so I don't, I don't, it must have been, it must have been a loose bare turf because yeah, it was yeah, it looked, it looked horrific. So um, look, I haven't heard anything else about that. So I think, uh, I think thankfully she got out of that okay. She might be a bit sore, which is uh, thank God. Uh, for, but uh, yeah, just just on two goals. Um, yeah, Be- Bella Shuttleworth while she made a couple of saves, she had a horror uh, could see in the first goal. You know where she's gone for a goal kick and slipped and basically uh, how Larry's chipped her. And then um, second goal, she fell victim to Olympico. So, uh, yeah, so it was, a, it was a tough outing for Bell Shuttleworth, you know, deputising for uh, Hensley Handcuff. But look, it's one, it's one of those things. I think it's just, yeah, move on, move on. She'll be, she'll be better for it. Yeah, that's it. And you got to remember, she's still, what, 18-ish? So yeah. those moments are going to come no matter what. Um, we'll just have to wait and see uh, how the rest of the season plays out. Finals, probably... Like, well, unlikely, but still not out of the question. But it is going to require, essentially, a very charmed run over the remaining five matches. The good news is there are a couple of games coming up at uh, Parc de Paris. Not this weekend, though. They're off uh, across the Tasman. I hope they've all got their passports sorted. Because they're playing the Wellington Phoenix next week. They are. Well, they've also got Western United, Western Sydney, Melbourne, Victory and Perth in the running so teams in and around the top four if they are going to make that run they'll be able to compete with them but Wellington this weekend James is going to be a really really tough match for the Raw because they've played twice before and yes the Raw have got a win and a draw in those two games but Wellington have given them real trouble in these games they really haven't you think back to the game at AJ Kelly Park about a month or so ago that was a game where Wellington despite being a player down played some amazing football in that game and probably would feel really unfortunate and hard done by not to leave with the three points on that occasion. They're all got a late equaliser, so 
I, don't, I think people looking at the table saying, oh, Wellington's bottom of the table, this will be a comfortable three points and a chance to close the gap a bit on the teams at the top. I think it could be a bit, a bit tougher game. Though. I do think they all will win, but it will be a much tougher game than than what people would look, think just looking at it on the surface of it. First trip, to New, first trip to New Zealand as well for a lot, a lot of these players as well. So this is not an easy task. Look, I... I I hope they're on guard because I think the ambush is coming. I think uh, Wellington are going to have a lot more to play for as they they try and sort of you know at least salvage what's left their season in on friendly turf. Yeah, look if the raw are even below par, uh, look I'm I'm actually quite fearful that this could be an ambush. I I think they've got enough going about them that I'm not necessarily uh, worried that this is going to be uh, an an ambush as such, but I do kind of feel like, you know, they are, they are going to need to be on guard for this game. It's just going to come down to whether or not, um, yeah, it, it's just going to come down to whether or not the, uh, raw, how the raw handle the trip, because as like Hensley handcuff, quite a lot of flying over the last, uh, week or so, plenty of, uh, frequent flyer miles for Katrina Gorey as well. And football minutes as well. You're going from, and, but even just for like the rest of the squad, you're going from, Brisbane to Perth to Brisbane to Wellington. That's a lot of time on the plane. And I, I hope that they're able to overcome a slow start because I kind of feel like this is going to be an early game on their body clocks as well. It's a yep. midday kickoff, if I'm not mistaken. Actually, no uh, way. It's yeah. a later kickoff. It's four o'clock. Uh, hang on. Let me just... Oh, midday kickoffs. They should be used to those basically here in Queens. That's about time they kick off most of the games, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, I, I had to set you up for that one, but I'm pretty sure it's actually a late afternoon kickoff as well. Uh, hang I, on, let me... I should I should know. I just did the um, Ned's update scripts uh, the other day as well. Gamble responsibly. We're not allowed to say that anymore. What? Aren't you? Why? No, I'll fill you in on that uh, off air. There's new messaging coming in. Two forty p.m. kickoff. Okay, there we go. So that's, that's normal. Okay. Except it's not going to be except it's not going to be thirty degrees and ninety five percent humidity. No, I wouldn't think. No, it'll be three degrees and uh, ninety kilometer an hour winds. I prefer that. <laughs> <laughs> maybe not. Maybe not the ninety k an hour winds. But anyway, um, actually, before we move on, three, two, one votes for the Perth game. I believe Scott. Yeah, I'll go quickly. If there's three, Jamila Rankin, two for Holly Palmer, and one for Bella Shuttleworth. Despite what Adam said, she did make a couple of really good saves, so she can get one vote. I said that. Adam, meet Bus. Bus, Adam. <laughs> That's Jeez. called a preemptive strike. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> All right. Well, um, just quickly, because I don't want to step on uh, NPL Sunday's toes, the uh, otherwise known as the yeah. Scott and Adam James Free Show. Step on toes, Neil. Just quickly, <laughs> because we want to do a bit of cross-promotion, give us one highlight from the... Uh, Weekend of NPL action across the men's and women's. Adam, well, um, one it was, highlight it or storyline. It was a very, very dramatic weekend. Um, look, I'm going to take the obvious one, and and we we did discuss this at length on Sunday. So if you missed it, you can go back and listen to our discussion that Scott and I had at the top of the show. But uh, yeah, look, eight eight week cards over the over the weekend in uh, the NPL men for week one. You know, on the surface you'd say, oh geez, the referees have lost control, you know, have they, have they really served, you know, have, have they really served, you know, over, over refereeing the games? But look, when you look at back, we, we, we sort of said that six of the eight were probably justified, the other two were, you know, marginal. So, 
what where the positive comes in is that let's just hope that there, if there is some consistency in the refereeing, that and I think that the, the players are going to have to adjust to it. But um, yeah, cer- certainly that was a memorable thing, and also as well, um, yeah, it was like I said, it was just a very dramatic uh, first round. This is just James' excuse to get out of actually listening to what we actually said on the show on Sunday. But yes, I'll, I'll take the right. I'll take the unpopular the unpopular answer on the Brisbane Raw show and say Gold Coast United. They're a team we all tipped James to make a big jump this year compared to last year to be a team who pushed into the top four, and they certainly proved on Friday night that they have the the squad and also the mentality to go out there and get it done. It was a, lot, it was a really chippy game, real niggly game. In the past, that's the sort of stuff Gold Coast United have been drawn into, and it's been kind of their downfall. So to be able to ignore all of that, go to, go to their big rivals and get a result, I thought it was a great way to start the year for them and sets them up quite nicely. I think they play the Raw Academy at home this weekend, so a bit of an M1 derby of sorts for the Raw fans. I want to get down to Coplix on the weekend. All right, well, Scott, um, I did actually listen to NPL Sunday, and I was going to keep this offline, but I know uh, I know that uh, Lions actually won their second Football Foundation Cup on the weekend, not their first, like you claimed. Thank you. I was confused. I'll correct that now. It was their second. Yes, 2020 over Sunshine Coast Wanderers, a lost inaugural Football Foundation Cup to Peninsula Power in 2019. And what was significant about that game, by the way, Adam, the Lions Pen Power game in 2019? Uh, it was Powell's first game in the top flight. Yes, it was also a debut of different sorts. It was well oh, commentated, but not well co-commentated. <laughs> yeah, that was, good. that was my second answer. <laughs> That's right, that was actually the first uh, game yeah. I did uh, for Football Queensland. I was in co-coms with uh, Rafe Griffin. So, how about that for full circle? All right. Shout, shout out to Rafe. Yeah. I hope he's well. Absolutely, uh, yeah. Learned quite a bit from Rafe early on. Uh, Raw. A-League, men's, they're off to MacArthur on Sunday. It's the only game on Sunday afternoon in the A-League, men's. And, well, I'm going to lead off now because I'm the host and I can. I'm looking for a repeat effort from what we saw on um, Sunday against Perth and another three points for the Raw because pretty much if they're going to keep their finals push alive, they, they need to win. I still don't know if they're going to make finals, but I think at this rate, they're going to probably be in the mix come that Sydney game as long as they pick up points where they're expected to, Scott. Yeah, rinse and repeat is what you're looking for from the Raw in this game. Is that, that pressing, that attacking intent, taking some of that down to MacArthur, who have been slightly better at home than they have been away for what that is worth. But they are a team that look like they are limping to the end of the season with a new... With a, I think Milos Stroski is the full-time coach. He's not an interim. He's there permanently, so he'll want to get the best out of this group. But no Uli De Vier, as Adam mentioned earlier. It's a great opportunity for the Raw. If they are going to make a serious push for the finals, they've got to get something out of this game, and probably three points if they are seriously serious about doing it. And on what they showed at the weekend, just so they have a chance of doing it. They'll have to take that, what they did on the road, but if they can do that, they've got a good chance. Adam. Yeah, I think um, if if there if, if there's any sort of hope or I guess you know progression from from Sunday, this is this is where they need to make a step forward. This is a you know a winnable game uh, against a MacArthur side that is struggling. They're, they're without their without their talisman, uh, and and look if 
you know, they, they need they need to somehow just repeat what they did and have the confidence to go there and you know, and try and you know bring home three points. They do that, all of a sudden, a fluke win and one one game coach's bounce back becomes two, and that drives momentum and hope. The other thing they have to contend with is if Perth were genuinely caught off guard by this new look raw approach, almost a little bit of some of the old old school raw stuff from a few years ago. MacArthur shouldn't be because they've had a week now to go back and analyse that Perth game and see the changes the Raw have made. So I do think the Perth game was the opportunity to really go for the ambush and the surprise tactic. This time the Raw are going to have to really execute everything across the board. And there were some signs in that game where Perth did open them up a couple of times. So it'll be interesting to see how they cope with the MacArthur attack at the weekend. For sure. Now, I'm going to uh, shelve the NSD discussion because the expressions of interest are still open and clubs are still announcing it so we might hold that for possibly next week and hopefully we'll get a uh, list of uh, clubs that have officially put in their expression of interest absolutely another topic we are we are going to talk about and we not today but we will we will table it for a time we have a bit more time james we did have some people asking over the last week on our in our social social replies and all the rest of it to talk about the ownership situation here in brisbane and the owners we will do that, but we want to give it the time to actually do that properly, as opposed to a quick 90 seconds. So we will do that when we have a bit more time. Yeah, that that is probably going to be a standalone show, maybe our season finale, because I think that's going to tie in very well in terms of where to next. Um, yeah, the only the only other story that's really come out uh, was the reported uh, favourite for the job in Paul Pezos, but I think that's his name, Pezos, Pezos. Yep. Uh, the Adelaide City coach. Yeah, there we go. Uh, but at this point, it is just rumours and whatnot, and we might just shelve that for a later week because I'm also getting quite hungry. I want to go have some dinner and say goodnight to my son. So that's going to be it for this edition of the Brisbane Football Review. Thank you, Adam. Yep, thank you and good night. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, and get out to the local grounds at the weekend. Roar away, so get out to your local grounds over the weekend. That's my line. Well, I'm stealing it. I say it on the Sunday show. He does. I've stolen it. I've been, saying, I've been saying it on this show for like three, four years now. But anyway, um, yes, thank you everyone for listening. Stay tuned to our uh, channels. We've got two shows per week coming your way now with the return of NPL Sunday. There's a whole lot of football action coming up this weekend. We'll be back to recap it all next Wednesday here on the Brisbane Football Review.